Father, thank you that um, thank you that we can have fellowship around your word. Thank you that it is really sweet because of that, because we can know that we're all here for, with the same purpose, and that is to know more about you, so that we can live in a way that that glorifies you and honours you. So, I pray now, Lord, in the um, in this next session, that you would really show us things that we haven't seen before, or uh, amplify those things that we already know. Help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us. Lord, you say that if we lack wisdom, we only have to ask. So I ask for wisdom, and I ask on behalf of all of us, Lord, we, we need your wisdom. We need to know how to correctly use the knowledge that you give us. And, um, and so I pray both for both things, Lord, for understanding and then for wisdom, to know how to go on as we leave here at the end of this day, how to put into practice what you've shown us. So, um, Father, I thank you that you will do what, what I'm asking because you promise that you will, and uh, you are a faithful God. And so, uh, Lord, now uh, I pray, be honoured by what we uh, think and what we say in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, so um, we're going to flip in Hebrews to chapter 9, actually. Well, we'll start in chapter 10 and then we'll go back to chapter 9. Um, and we're... It, where are the two chapters that, Jesus, um, that the writer really emphasizes the fact of Jesus' sacrifice and the fact that it is a perfect sacrifice and is more than enough? Um, and, um, and what he'll do in chapter 9 and chapter 10 is contrast the sacrifice of Jesus with the sacrifices of the old, um, their old religion, their old um, traditions, which actually God gave them. So that's the thing to be remembered, really. Of course, they are confused and thinking, uh, really, have we done the right thing? Because God gave them the religion that we call Judaism. He, he gave them that. He gave them a way to approach him. And so now, basically, these believers have, have come to Jesus and understood some things about Jesus, that he is Messiah. But of course, it's confusing to think, well, why are we not doing what we used to do anyway? And that's uh, another thing. So um, I think because they're suffering, because they're going through a lot of persecution, and um, some had lost everything, actually, um, they're asking those questions that we might ask at different times. So, for example, is it true that Jesus really is the promised Messiah? That's what they're asking. Is it really true that Jesus is the Messiah? And um, if he is, why are we experiencing so much persecution? You know, the, thing, the promise of Messiah, as they understood it, was largely that when Messiah came, everything would be the way it was supposed to be. Well, everything is not the way it's supposed to be for these Hebrews. So they're questioning, you know, was he really the Messiah? And has he really done for them what they couldn't do with all their old practice of religion? And we have the same questions, actually, in different forms, why am I suffering so much if Jesus really is my saviour? And if he really is God, why am I still going through suffering? You know, I mean, you can understand that an unbelieving world might suffer. But when you've given your heart to the Lord and you're trusting him and you're trying to honour him with your life and you really are attempting to, to do your part in the transformation that's going on. And then suddenly you get bowled over by yet another thing that comes at you. The question is, is this really true then? 
Because why am I suffering? And that question is the same question that unbelievers have. If God is really good, why is there so much suffering in the world? And the thing is, um, that's a massive question. Norma and I were talking about that. That's a massive question that would take weeks and weeks and weeks to get, get through. But the basic bottom line truth is that you and I have been saved for eternity. Spiritually, our spirits are now alive in Christ Jesus. He is transforming our soul, that is our character, is being formed by the transforming work of the Spirit within us. But it won't be glorious, completely glorious, until we go to be with Jesus. There is a three-part um, there are three parts to our salvation. There's the justification where God says we are not guilty. He chooses to credit the righteousness of Christ to our account. There is the sanctification that's going on because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling and he is at work changing us from the inside. We go along with that work. We're supposed to be a part of that work. So we find out something that he wants to change and the response of a person who knows Jesus is to say, yes, Lord, what can I do to do that with you? And then the final part is the glorification, when we will be like him when we eventually go either at the end of our life or when he comes back, whichever is first, where we are with him, where we will be glorious, where we'll have a new body. But you'll never have a new spirit now. Your spirit is alive because of Christ Jesus. He has given you his spirit. You have life, the life in his name. But the sanctification part of our salvation is going on. The justification is done. The glorification is set. But the sanctification is where we live. And we live this sanctification process on a planet that is decaying and corrupting, that is full of disease, that is full of physical disease, mental disease, emotional disease, and the Christ's promise to us, God's promise to us is, if you put your trust in me, I will enable you to walk this planet. And it, it will be hard, and the road will be full of boulders, but I will enable you to navigate them. In fact, I will navigate them for you, so that you have a joy that you can't explain, so that you have a peace that passes all understanding. Not so that you won't have any problems, because actually, if Christians don't have any problems, what good are you? How can you help someone who does? You know, if, if you haven't gone through a tragedy, you can't help me in mine. You can put your arms around me, but you can't give me what I need. I need to know about the one who can lift me out of my tragedy into his arms. And give me that peace and that joy, despite my circumstances. So these uh, Hebrews are obviously thinking about all these things. Why am I being persecuted? Why am I suffering? Why is everything going wrong when Christ is supposed to be God? He's supposed to be my Messiah, my Savior. And if you've never asked that, then you will. <laughs> One day you will. Because that's the human response um, so, 
they, they were asking other questions too, which we perhaps are not answer, asking because they had all the old sacrifices and all the old feasts and all the old festivals that they had grown up with and they were trying to understand, so what does that mean then? Is that all gone? And so the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 9 and chapter 10, he talks about three benefits for the believer, why the sacrifice of Jesus is better than the Old Testament sacrifices, why the new covenant is better than the old covenant, and why, in fact, Jesus is the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice. So we're going to start in chapter 10, which is probably a bit weird, but, and then we'll go back to chapter 9. So chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they continually offer year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Um, sorry if this translation is a bit um, arduous on your ear. It's that... Um, the New American Standard Version, which is the one that I use and the one I like most for study, is a word-for-word -word translation of the Bible. It's not that other translations are no good, it's just that this one is word-for-word. -word. So if I want to know what a word means, I can look it up in its original language. Whereas in the New International Version, for example, you have a phrase-by-phrase -phrase uh, translation which means inevitably the words that are used in the phrases are not necessarily the original words that were used. And so for study, it's harder to find out what things mean. The New International Version is obviously easier to read because it's written in a much more easy English. Um, but that's why this is a little bit um, harder, perhaps, on the ear. So uh, where was I? Um, which they continually, year by year, make cannot year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he, Jesus, comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. After saying above, Sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, then he, Christ, said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Okay, so sin is man's greatest problem. That's what we know, all of us know. And no matter what kind of religion we have, whatever it is, it cannot deal with sin. Um, so is of no value, actually. By nature, we are all sinners. And the choices that we make confirm that we are sinners. Now, it's important, really important, that we, that we get this right. And you'll see as we go on. You are not a sinner because you sin. 
You are not a sinner because of the things you do that you know are wrong or the things that you do that you, you don't know are wrong. You are not a sinner because you sin. Because, because you, sin. You, are a, uh, you sin because you are a sinner. Can you see the difference? You sin because you are a sinner by nature. If you want to change the word sinner into Martian, change it into Martian just for the purpose of this. You are not a Martian because you live like a Martian or you, or you uh, behave like a Martian. You are a Martian because you were born on Mars. Does that help or not? Probably doesn't help, does it? Even as I'm saying it, it doesn't help much. So, okay. So, you are not a sinner because of the sins you commit. You commit the sins because you are a sinner. Why are you a sinner? Why are you born in sin? Because of Adam and Eve's sin. Because Adam, as the representative head of mankind, sinned. And when he did, what happened? We're separated from God. In what way? Spiritually. We're separated spiritually from God. If you go back to Genesis, uh, Eve will say that God to the serpent, that God said, in the day we eat of it, we will surely die. And the serpent re reply is, you will surely not die. God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like him. And you will know the difference between good and evil. And Adam and Eve both took the fruit because they wanted to be like God, even though they were already like God. It's the biggest deception of all time. They were both made in the image of God. Can you imagine the potential of that, of the human race? Made in the image of God. But fell for the deception that they would be like God if they did what he'd said not to do. So because they took that, mankind inherited sin. So a baby, for example, that is born... Is the baby a sinner or not? Yes, the baby is a sinner. Why? The baby has done nothing wrong. Because of inherited sin. Because of inherited sin. That's the answer when uh, people say, well, I can't understand how babies, how you can say a baby is born in sin. Well, in sin, the baby was conceived because two adults conceived a child. And that baby was born as a sinner. And because that baby is a sinner, that baby will grow up and will sin by nature. So you and I sin by nature. So we're always, always trying to say, well, I don't sin as much as Mrs. Smith down the road. And I mean, if you knew what she did, you'd really say she was a sinner. The thing is, we are all by nature sinners. Now think about this because it matters now. It matters. If I am by nature a sinner, then it doesn't matter how many times I don't do what I want to do, how many times I don't sin. Because my very nature is a sinner. So I need a saviour who can not only stop me from sinning, doing the acts of sin, but who can remedy the fact that I inherited sin. And that even if I did nothing else, even if I stayed in bed all day and never moved, never said anything, never had a thought, I would still be a sinner and I would still be far from God. So I need a saviour who can bridge that gap. Sorry, Martin, you were going to say something.
Ah, oh, no, 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 no. So that's it. So give me two more minutes and hopefully I'll get there. So we're all born in that way. We need a saviour who can bridge the gap, who can, make, who can get rid of inherited sin. Do you see what I mean? We, who can give us, if you like, a blood transfusion because we inherited the DNA of Adam and Eve. So I need someone who can give me his DNA to change that. And lo and behold, along comes Christ. So can you see now what the writer is saying to the Hebrews is, you're bringing your sacrifices, and that's good because God has told you to do that. And when you do that, he is covering the sin for which you're bringing the sacrifice. So maybe you kicked the cat, and so you come into the temple and you say, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have kicked the cat, and here's my sacrifice. And God chooses to think that that sacrifice covers that sin, but it doesn't remove your nature. It can't remove your nature. So there had to be another sacrifice that would be enough to change your DNA, to give you a different nature, a different, um, different blood. I can't think of any other way to describe it. And so that's what he's saying. Only the person, only Christ's sacrifice is enough to do that. So you can, you can keep saying sorry for your sins, individual sins, but that can never change until you get a change of DNA. He doesn't say DNA. I know that's not in Scripture, but you know what I mean, right? So now think about that. When you're talking to someone, an unbeliever, about the fact that they need Jesus, it's no good saying you need forgiveness because you're an adulterer or you're a or you're a drunkard, or you're a thief, or you're a homosexual, or you're this, or you're that. You need forgiveness, you need redemption, you need a complete change of nature. Because, you see, in our world now, people will say, I'm not a sinner, I don't do stuff wrong. I'm a good husband, I'm a good father, I'm a good wife, I'm a good mother. I've never stolen anything, I don't lie, I don't cheat on my taxes, I don't do any of those things, why do I need a saviour? And if we don't know the answer to that, we're stuck. The answer is you need a saviour because there is a gap between you and a perfect, holy, perfectly DNA'd God. And we, we are separate from him. And until something bridges that gap, we could never, ever get into the presence of God. So do you see what I mean? It it should change the way we think about how we talk to people. And that's what these Hebrews couldn't quite get. Because they had been going to the temple and they'd been making the sacrifices for their individual sins. And they'd been receiving forgiveness. So why do they need a Messiah? Isn't that enough? They know that God exists. They're doing what he said. Why do I need a Messiah? Why do you need a Savior? You need a Savior not because of what you do or don't do, but because of your very essence. You are not holy. You are not like God. So think about it in our day. Think about it. Really think about it. What's the teaching of our day? We're all children of God. We're all children of God, and God loves us all. 
And so you're okay, and I'm okay, and whatever we want to do is okay because we're all children of God. That's a lie. You're only a child of God if you have his DNA. You are not a child of God if you don't have his DNA, and the only way to get his DNA is if he gives it to you. And he only gives it to you in Christ Jesus. Do you see what I mean? So it, it infiltrates every part of our thinking in our day. Why do I need Jesus? Well, because you're an alien without him. You, you can't belong to God because you don't have the right substance. So all of this now... We're made in the image of God. Every, everybody's a child of God made in the image of God. Yes, in some ways that's true. But in the essence, it's not true. You are not, as an unbeliever, the image of God. You are far, far, far from the image of God. And if we as a church keep talking about everyone being a child of God, we are leading them to destruction because they don't understand that they need the Savior. What the writer to the Hebrews is going to tell these Hebrews, believers and unbelievers alike, is that the law, the feast, the sacrifice, were just a picture of what Christ would do, what the Messiah would do. And he would do so much more than the shadow could show you, so much more than the picture could show you. And the thing is, we're believers in Christ, and we know certain things, but we have to be able to explain this in words that people, unbelievers, will understand. It's no good as Christians to keep on going on about the things that people are doing wrong. You know what? You, you drink way too much. I mean, you know, you need forgiveness because you're like this. Or, or you do this or you do that. The basic bottom line is people are drunk or uh, addicted to things because they don't know the Savior. People are murdering because they don't know God. People are stealing and, and gossiping and all of those things because they don't have the DNA of a holy God within them, because they don't have the spirit of a holy God. Now take that truth, think about the witness of that out into our communities, and then think about the Christian, the believer, who still does those things. Now think about the confusion. <laughs> well, you say you've got the Spirit of God within you, but all I see you do is exactly what other people are doing. So where's your DNA change? So why is it important that Christians look like Christians and, be and behave like Christians? It's important because the whole essence of the gospel is, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was this, but now I'm not. I had a sin nature, but now I have a God nature. Yes, I still battle. Yes, I still fight. Yes, I still make mistakes. Yes, I still fall. But I have the DNA of a holy God in me. And that DNA will make itself known more and more and more as my life goes on. Really, honestly, ask yourself the question, is that happening in you? Because if it's not happening in you, honestly, I want to say you're just taking up space. 
You're just taking up Christian space and we need Christians who look like Christians and who stand up like Christians. We need Christians who overcome. We need Christians who are becoming more holy. We need Christians who are laying aside sin and taking up holiness. We cannot live any longer in a, in a church that looks like the world. Because people need to see God and see the difference. I'm assuming that you're here because you know this. You're here because you know it. But the point of these conferences and the point of Bible study and the point of it it all is that we need to know why we know these things. And we need to be corrected in the little odd things that we get slightly wrong. And only God's word can do that. So that's why we come together. That's why I study the Bible. I study the Bible so I can know God because I know knowing God will change me. And I want to be changed. I can tell you, I don't want to stay as I am. And I've had instances, some of you know them, where God has faced me up with it. And and if you don't do this or if you don't stop this, we can't go any further. It's not that I don't love you. It's not that you're not saved, but we just can't move on together. And I can tell you, when you hear God say that to you, it cuts right through to the center of where you are. And you say, oh God, I can't stay here. I can't stay in this place. Is that you? Because I'm, I'm like... I'm not, I'm not an original. I'm just, everything that happens to me happens to you. Paul says, no temptation, no test, no trial has seized me except what is common to man. Everybody goes through the same stuff. So what I'm saying, I know God is saying to you. And what he's saying to you, I know he's saying to me, which is why we fellowship, which is why we come together, which is why we come around the word. Because your experience and my experience, they're good and they help us, but only the word changes us. That's what this writer to the Hebrews is saying. All the sacrifices that you brought could never take away the sin nature. They could You could receive forgiveness for that individual act of sin, but it could not change your nature, which is why the Day of Atonement, the word atonement, which the Jews celebrated every year, the word atonement just means covering. And we need a saviour who will remove our sin. Yeah, go ahead, Sue. Say that again. Yes. Yes, yes, exactly, yes, yes. And, and that's a wonderful, and that's what he's saying here. All the sacrifices of their religion would not do that because they needed the indwelling Christ to change them. That's what I call DNA. It's a bad example, but you know what I mean? They needed the Holy Spirit to indwell them, to make the connection, to bridge the gap between them and God. yes. Yes, yes, exactly. But mostly, what will the Holy Spirit do, Sue? I absolutely agree. But what the Bible says to me about the Holy Spirit is that he will turn my attention to Christ and to the Word. The Holy Spirit will send me to the Word because the Word is Jesus. The Word is Christ. 
If I want to be changed, that's what you're saying actually, Sue, isn't it? If I want to be changed, I have to hear God say it to me through the words of this page, and then I have to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within me. Yeah. So, um, one of the things that the writer to the Hebrews will say is that the, you receive forgiveness for the sins under the old system, but that, that sacrifice couldn't remove your sin from you. And if the sin couldn't remove your, if, if the sacrifice couldn't remove it, you would remain in guilt all the time. You would have guilt because of your sin. So it was a temporary covering, but it didn't completely change you from the inside. Sorry if I'm going on and on and on, but most believers don't understand that. They don't understand it. Most believers think that if we do enough right things, if we keep on doing the right thing, if we behave, if we, you know, do what our church tells us to do, if we have a year of you know, never, never saying anything wrong, a year of never doing anything wrong, that'll be great because then God will love me more. Yes? Um, the, in the sacrifice, uh, the, uh, the person would bring along the bull, bullock, or the lamb, and then uh, at the uh, place of slaughter, just inside the gates, they would put their hand on the animal, it says in the yeah yeah and then they themselves would kill it then the priest would crack the blood yeah and the animal was put on the table and inspected to make sure it was perfect yeah but then the, then that was it so then the person would go away and do the same thing exactly just be what they were before exactly and he was perfect yes thank you mike that's it then it is it is he is okay both of you come and stand up here read my notes Exactly. He's the one who brought the sacrifice and the sacrifice itself. He is the perfect sacrifice. Why is that important then for us today? I mean, you know it, obviously, you know it. So why is it important that we totally understand it? Beyond the fact of our salvation, why is it important? Yeah, we don't get to heaven by deeds, that's true. Why else? Yeah, in order to explain it to other people. Why else? So we don't go off the rails. All good answers, but not the answer on the card. So all good answers. Why do we need to know this? Because believers live with guilt. Because you live with guilt. And Christ's sacrifice, if it was an all-sufficient sacrifice for all time, then your guilt was taken. Not just your sin, not just the thing you did wrong, but the guilt you feel because you did it. He's going to talk in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 9. Just flip back a page to Hebrews 9 and let, just listen to this. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled those who had been defiled, if they sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You see, we know as Christians that we are forgiven for our our sin. We know that there is redemption in Christ Jesus. We know that we are being sanctified, all of those things. But the one thing we forget or refuse to receive is that there is no more guilt. And not only no more guilt, that your guilt feelings are not the indicator of what Christ has done for you. Praise God. So even as believers, even when you understand all of these things, what you get is this conscious awareness, this conscience awareness of guilt. That you didn't do what you should have done and you, uh, or, you, or you did do what you shouldn't have done. And you live with guilty feelings. Um, or, on the other hand, you get those people, and there'll be some in this room, who think she's going on too much about the fact that it's all done by Christ and that we don't have to worry, that we are free in Christ Jesus. She's saying too much that we, uh, that we are complete, complete in Christ. She's saying too much and making it too easy. What do you mean? It doesn't matter now how we live? What do you mean? It doesn't matter if we go on doing the same old things? Maybe you haven't thought I've said that, but my notes tell me that you might have thought that. So <laughs> I'm covering all bases here. The thing is, I've got a little example because, yeah. How can God deal with us so gently when we know that we don't do what we're supposed to do? How can God forgive you for a thing that you can't forgive yourself of? How can God forgive you for something you knew not to do, but you did anyway, and there's no ability to change what you did? No, I think it's... Well, I, I think that it's a nice way of looking at it, but I don't think it's exactly true. I've got a little, um, a little example. I wish I could give someone a, a page. So um, let's think about our sin and what it causes. Is God being soft on us or indifferent to our sin? No. Okay. So think about shame and guilt. So I've often thought with my own sin, uh, many as they are, uh, for example, one example is that my mum lived with me for eight years. You know that. most Some of you know that. My mum lived with me for eight years. She was very dependent, emotionally dependent, and then became physically uh, dependent. And I wasn't kind to her all the time because that was really hard for me 
to live with someone totally dependent on me because I'm the sort of person who likes their space. And my mum was the sort of person who had no concept of space. She'd grown up with uh, 12 brothers and sisters sharing two bedrooms. So my mum didn't have any clue about space. And she didn't see why I needed space. And consequently, that caused problems. My mum was kind and gracious and loving. She didn't ever say a bad word about anyone. I never in my entire life heard her say anything bad about anyone. That's almost impossible to believe, isn't it? But it's true. She was a gracious, gracious woman. And I was mean and unkind. And I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm forgiven. And I know my guilt is taken. But I'm still left with the guilt feelings and the shame of knowing what I was like. What about that? Because this tells me in Hebrews that that's, I'm complete in Christ, that it's done, that he's removed not only my guilt, but my shame. He has cleansed my conscience. The, the constant reminder of my sin has been cleansed. Well, I don't know about your life. Think about your life. Think about it in terms of what I've just said to you. Think about those times in your life when you have not been what you should have been. You know you're forgiven in Christ. It's done and the sin is taken, but you're left with the residue, the guilt feeling and the shame. And what has, what has God done with that? I've got a little... Um, yeah, I'm going to have to be both people. So let's suppose a person cheats on his taxes and the inland revenue uh, find out. This is the conversation between HM Customs and Mr. Anderson. Okay, I'm Mr. Anderson. This side is Mr. Anderson. That side is the Customs. Okay, I guess you've got me. Yes, Mr. Anderson, I'm afraid it's all pretty clear. Well, you can't blame me for trying. I suppose everybody gives themselves the benefit of the doubt. I think you've gone beyond that. This is a pretty clear case of fraud, and we're thinking of prosecuting you. Now, wait a minute. I'll pay the tax you owe, and the penalty too, but you can't prove I didn't just make an honest mistake. I think we can prove fraud, Mr. Anderson, and it's very possible that we'll try. Please, I won't try to talk you out of it, but, well... Will my children have to know? Look at the three different things in that situation. I realize it's a bit of a silly example, but just think about this. First, the actual guilt. Mr. Anderson was guilty of cheating on his taxes, of trying to defraud the government. He knew that he was guilty, but he didn't feel any guilt. Because he said everyone gives themselves the benefit of the doubt. That's the world we live in. 
People know they're guilty of certain things, but they don't feel any guilt. There's no felt guilt. Because we live in a society now that's told people everything's okay. You can do what you want. Second, guilt feelings. Mr. Anderson should have felt guilty about what he'd done, but he didn't. He didn't feel guilty at all. Third, the shame. Mr. Anderson felt shame because he didn't want his children to know. Right? Now, why does this, any of this make any difference? Because we need to be able to distinguish between all three. Guilt is the objective guilt that you incur because you did something wrong, according to God. You did something wrong, according to God, and therefore you are guilty. Guilt feelings are how you feel about yourself. And shame is what you feel about other people's disgust and feelings about you. In our society, what do we concentrate on most? No? I don't think so. Maybe a little bit, but what's the concentration in our society? How you feel. How you feel about what you do. If it feels good, do it. Everything in our society is about how a thing makes me feel. And if I don't feel guilty, and if I don't feel ashamed, it doesn't matter. But when you come to Christ, what happens? Not only are you aware of your guilt, the actual guilt, you start to feel guilt because you know you, you have done something wrong and you start to realize I shouldn't have done. And you start to feel shame in case the rest of the Christian population knows what you did. So now you've got three things to deal with. But the guilt, as a Christian, your guilt's already gone in Christ Jesus. So what about the guilty feelings and the shame? What about that? So, so what do I do with my guilty feelings and my shame? You give it to Jesus. Will he take it? Yes. Why? Okay, so he took my feelings and my shame and my guilt, all of it. Okay, so why is it then that we, all of us, live with the memories of past failures? Why do we all live with the guilt of past failures, the guilty feelings? Why is it that you won't tell me your deepest, darkest sin? Why is that? Well, Carrie, yeah, that's a very personal thing, which we can't go down that road. But normally, what would happen? Normally, what would happen? Okay, so the accuser of the brethren comes in. What about from yourself? Yes, exactly. There's something in us that says, okay, I know I was guilty, I know I'm forgiven. But this is a consequence of that sin. The consequence is that I feel bad. 
and that I remember the sin. And so that's the way it's supposed to be. I should remember. Is that true? No. no. So why do we walk around with guilt feelings? Because we don't really believe that Christ has taken the feeling and the shame. Because we keep on remembering our conscience reminds us, our memory reminds us of what we should have been and weren't. Of course, yeah, the accuser as well, but I think we have a conscience and that's what I think the writer's talking about. That it cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Think about it because it matters. Okay, think about uh, now in our world. When you're talking to people who have no shame and who don't feel guilty and who don't actually even understand that sin is sin, how are you going to give the gospel? How are you going to give the gospel to people who think everything's okay, who don't always feel guilty about what they've done anyway because they didn't think it was wrong, and they certainly don't have any shame because they're brazen in what they do? How are we going to give the gospel in that culture? How are we going to take the truth of Jesus into that culture? Do you see what I mean? It causes us to think and rethink about how we live and what we do as Christians. Because now we live in a society that has no shame. We live in a society where actually people don't much care because they don't think anything is wrong. Yes. Remind me of my question, Martin, because I think I've forgotten it. Yes. Okay, so how do we? <laughs> no, I can't tell you everything. You're supposed to come up with some answers. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that, don't quote scripture. Just tell me what to say. <laughs> yeah. Please. Yes. 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 Yes, Yet there still are. We're still on the cusp, actually, of going over into complete shamelessness. So we still are. I think when our generation's dead and gone, and maybe the generation's just after us, there won't be much shame left anywhere. I think we still grew up with that understanding. Go ahead, Martin. Love, it is. Yes. Yes. Of course, definitely. Yes. 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 I, definitely. I, I mean, I've, think about this. When, um, if you if you were a missionary to a country that where they were cannibals, and you went in and said, uh, "God forgives you for cutting off people's heads and eating them." If that culture had no clue that killing people and eating them was anything wrong, 
they wouldn't understand that they needed forgiveness for it. And, and if we get into a situation where people are doing things for their own sake whenever they want, but they have no understanding of guilt, no, no guilty feelings, and no shame because everyone else is doing it, how are we going to present Christ? This is the question. How are we going to present Christ? Yes, in love. Yes, we give the gospel in love. But what is the gospel to those people? Yes, I know, it's good news. What does that mean, Mike? So what does that mean? What? Yes, all good, all good. But what is the truth? The truth is, whether you feel guilty, whether you, whether you are guilty, whether you feel guilty, whether you have any shame, the reality is you live a zillion miles from a holy God and you cannot get to him. You cannot get to him. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how innocent you are, you cannot get to him because you're made of different stuff. That's where we started. That's the gospel. The, you are a sinner because you're born a sinner. And because you couldn't get to him, Christ came for you. It's not a matter of shame, whether they feel shame or feel guilt. It's not even a matter of whether they think they're guilty anymore because we have a church that says lots of sins are okay. So why will they feel guilty? And why will they have any shame? So, about the people, the unbelieving people mm -hmm. absolutely don't have any time for God. That's what I'm saying. They don't believe in God. No. They just won't take any notice. No. And they don't, do they? No. What about them then? Did you hear Sue's question? What about those people who don't believe in God, who don't care about God, who don't think about God, who don't have, want, need anything to do with God? What about those people? Because that's also a big percentage of the population. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. Go ahead, Angela. No, hold on, Mike. You've had two pennyworth already. You can come in a bit later. Go ahead, Angela. Yes. Yes. It is, it is, and I agree with you, but Sue's point is that someone will turn around and say, I don't even think there is a God, and there's no day of judgment, so why do I care? So Yes, he's given us a conscience, exactly. So God has made himself evident in creation and in our conscience. So we are, even though people say they have no belief in God, they don't even think he exists, 
they actually have the knowledge of God somewhere in their being. That's the first thing, that God has made himself known to everyone. The second thing is, people won't think about God until the chips are down. And when the chips are down, they don't actually need to know about the fact that there's going to be forgiveness because they did this or did that. What they need to know is, I know a God in whom there is hope. I know a God in whom there is peace. I know a God who will take you out of this situation emotionally and spiritually and who can make a difference. See, that's what I'm, I'm kind of talking about is that, you know, most of us here are old. Uh, uh, old, uh. And we need to be able to, to be relevant to the people we talk to. And if we live, sorry, Sue, hold on a minute. If we live in a culture that has no shame or very little and has no understanding of guilt except that it's a crime, so a crime makes them guilty, but, but sin, they don't have any understanding of what that is. And if we have a, live in a culture where guilt feelings cease to be seemingly experienced, how will we present Christ? And that's the important thing, because that's what we're here to do. And so my question is, how do we present the gospel? We have to be able to understand who Christ is and what he brought for us. And actually, when you believed in him, you didn't know all your sin because you hadn't done it all yet. And, and he is gracious and didn't show you all your sin immediately. Because as we've said many times, we'd never get up off the floor. So there's this slow, gentle, gracious unveiling of who you really are that God does through his word and by his spirit. And as he does that, you start to lean on him and trust him even more. But at the same time, we should be understanding how do we present this all-sufficient Christ. Yeah, of course, you have to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what to say and how to say it. Definitely, yes, definitely. Definitely. We have to be able to move on from our one-size-fits-all gospel. Go ahead, Sue. Sorry, Carol, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, 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 yeah. What were you going to say, Carol? Yes, yes. No, no, we were born with a conscience. I don't think it's the conscience in terms of what we always understand by it, because I say if you're born into a culture where they eat people, you're not going to feel bad about it. You're just going to do it because that's what they do. But the, I think the conscience is the consciousness of God or some, something inside you, because it says he, ca he put the knowledge of God inside us. So it, it's not necessarily conscience, because conscience is framed by, as you say, your parents and your culture, but the knowledge of himself inside us. And why is it all important? Because we are, we are saying that Jesus is all-sufficient, 
that his sacrifice was all sufficient. And we need to be able to show people what he is sufficient for. Um, God dealt with our guilt and with our feelings of guilt and with our shame at the cross of Jesus. That's what you said, Martin. He dealt with those at the cross of Jesus. So we have to live in the truth of that to be able to go out with a Christ who brings hope. I can say to you, there are things in my life I would not be able to, to live with. No, even knowing I'm forgiven for them, the weight of them is really heavy. And it's only that I know that Christ took all of those feelings and the shame of it all, and that I stand clean before a holy God, that I can tell myself, it's okay. I'm forgiven in the beloved. Christ has taken it all. He is sufficient for me. Now, I don't suppose for one moment that my stuff is necessarily eons worse than yours. I think you've got stuff in your life that causes you problems. And what I'm saying is if we're presenting a Christ who is hope and who is peace and who is love and all of those things, we have to actually be experiencing and exhibiting them in our everyday life. That's why I tell you the stuff about myself because that's how I know God has taken my shame. Yeah, it is a comfort. The, the, the guilt and shame and the feelings, yeah. that is really a significant thing to hang on to. Exactly, thank you. So I'm not going to have to stand there and yeah. say, I'm so sorry. I yes, already, yes. As far as the East is from the West so far. And there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Either the condemnation that you put on yourself or the condemnation that society puts on you or the condemnation that you may feel God puts on you. It's all gone in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Exactly. 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 And that's my point, Martin. We do. We do regurgitate them, knowing that as far as the East is from the West, in the sea of forgetfulness, which is a great expression. I haven't heard that. Um, knowing that, we still remember. And so it's, it has to be important to us to understand that God does not remember and that our conscience and the memory of those things has also been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. How is he all sufficient if he hasn't dealt with my guilty feelings and my shame? Do you see what I mean? Yeah. No, exactly. It is. Yes. Yes, definitely. Because definitely. It's us who've raged it. Yes. 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 
But you know what I'm saying, Jan, because we, we know that here. We know that in our head. But we are reminded of our sins and we, because of the feelings. And that is the hard one. Yes. 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 I do feel that one thing that's happened to me recently with losing my son, it's the guilt that brought yeah. me back mm. by the enemy. Yeah. And it's as I thank the Lord mm. to have the forgiveness mm. and keep thanking him. Mm. When the enemy keeps bringing it back, yeah. he does. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think it's the only antidote, actually. It's the only antidote. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Angela. Okay, we're going to break and have some lunch. So, Father, thank you that um, we've been able to look at this uh, in this session. Help us now as we go into lunch to really talk to each other and really care about what we're saying and how we're asking and to really care about one another, Lord, to... um, to do what fellowship is, actually, this loving sharing of the truth of who you are and the wonder of what, that, what a difference that makes in our lives. So help us to share that together, Lord, and to enjoy our time. And uh, we just give it to you as we've given you this morning and ask you to use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.